I just turned in a manuscript to a new book. I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right. And the name of the book is Laughter and Lament, the Touchstones of Radical Freedom. I have a board member who maybe because of that title and he was laughing about something, sent me a story and I thought I would share it with you. He's retired. Yesterday, I was at Costco buying a large bag of Purina dog chow for my loyal pet, Owen, the wonder dog, and was in the checkout line when a woman behind me asked if I had a dog. (laughs) What did she think I had, an elephant? So because I'm retired and have little to do, on impulse, I told her that no, I didn't have a dog. I was starting the Purina diet plan. (laughs) I added that I probably shouldn't because I ended up in the hospital the last time, but I'd lost 50 pounds before I awakened in the intensive care ward with tubes coming out of most of my orifices and IVs in both arms. I told her that it was essentially a perfect diet. The way it works is you load Purina dog nuggets in your pocket, and whenever you're hungry, you simply eat one of them. The food is nutritionally complete, certified so it works it works well and i was going to try it again i have to mention that practically everybody in the line was enthralled with my story horrified she asked if i ended up in intensive care because of the dog food and that it had poisoned me And I told her, no, I'd stopped to pee at a fire hydrant and a car hit me. (laughs) I thought the guy behind her was going to have a heart attack. He was laughing so hard. Costco won't let me shop there anymore. (laughs) My friend... Richard Pratt wrote a book a number of years ago, and the title of that book was He Gave Us Stories. If you've been a part of this church for a while, you know we've been studying the book of Acts, and you also know that the book of Acts is chock full of stories. Some of them will bring tears. Some of them will convict you. Others are funny in Acts 3 where the crippled man is healed and starts dancing and jumping up and down and the political leaders don't know what to do with him. That's a funny story. But some of the stories in Acts are simply puzzling. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're here not because we're good, but because we're yours. Father, speak to our minds so we wouldn't be superficial Christians and then put it in our hearts so we wouldn't be cold 
then put it in our hands and feet and in our vocal cords that the world can hear the laughter of the redeemed. As always, Father, we pray for the one who teaches, forgive him his sins because they're many. We would see Jesus and him only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, Brian's sermon was absolutely wonderful. I learned so much, and it was hopeful about the church. I mean, he went into the first century, and he showed us how the church dealt with problems, and I wanted to stand up and cheer. One would think, after what Brian taught us last week, that the church would join hands, walk off in the sunset together, singing Kumbaya. (laughs) But that's not what happened. Not even close. Right after that event, it went south. Let me read it to you. I'm reading from the 15th chapter of Acts, and I'm going to start at the uh, in the last paragraph, uh, where Luke writes, and after some days, Paul and Barnabas said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take him with them because he had left them before, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, in the Greek, that means get out your lugers. In the Greek, that means this was not just a nice, we can be friends even if we disagree conversation. This is not a place where Christians smile at each other and are nice. This was a knockdown, drag out disagreement between the two leaders of the church, Barnabas. And Paul, uh, and there was a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia strengthening the churches. I've been a Bible teacher longer than most of you have been alive, and I have a confession to make. Some of the Bible I just don't like, and if I had been God, I wouldn't have put it there. I mean, I get irritated because I'm asked to forgive people I don't want to forgive and love people I don't want to love, and he gives me no wiggle room about my sin, You would think he would give me a pat on the back on occasion. He is very strong. He doesn't give me a vote. He tells things he should not tell, and he won't let me even change it when I'm teaching it. 
So old people are irritated at being old, and it takes very little to tick us off, and the Bible ticks me off on occasion. This story this morning is one place where that's true. Why Why in the world, in a time when we need heroes, would God put this in his book? Could have left it out. It's dirty laundry. You don't have to hang out dirty laundry for everybody to see. Why in the world would he include this story right after all of this magnificent work in the church? Why would he put this in the book? We're going to address that in a minute, but first, uh, I want to go down one quick side road. You know something? It's possible to be so passionate about God's work that you miss God's people. Paul, oh man, you talk about a type A personality. Paul was concerned with ecclesiology, soteriology. He was concerned with the churches, that people do it right, with church discipline and the building of the churches. But Paul forgot about John Mark. Our pastor, uh, when we were first talking about the new buildings, said, you got to attempt something great for God, that if he's not in it, it won't work. And then he stopped and said something that was so good. He said this. He said, but not crazy, irrational stuff. Uh, Paul was a man of God, strong and focused, but he forgot about John Mark. I love our leaders in this church, and our, I thought this morning with joy was just wonderful. I love the people here, and I love our leaders, but boy, have they got a burden on their backs with these new buildings and keeping the church going and paying the bills and making sure that we remain doctrinally clear and straight. They have a lot of burden, and I... Respect them for that. But don't forget about John Mark. Don't forget about us. And I know you won't. This is a great text, and it has a history to it. Barnabas, early in Acts, is in, in fact, he was a part of that story with Ananias and Sapphira that God killed off. And Dan preached on when he was raising money for this building thing. (laughs) I thought it was a poor choice of text, frankly. (laughs) But Barnabas, uh, contrary to them, sold land, and his name was Joseph. And the church called him Barnabas, and that means son of encouragement. He was something else. And then when the church in Antioch was going great guns, they sent from Jerusalem... Barnabas, to head up the work. He got there, and he was overwhelmed, and he had already introduced Paul uh, to the church in Jerusalem. So he had a light go on, and he said, I'm going to get Paul as my assistant and to hold up my arms, and he'll make a difference. So he got Paul, and he brought it. Now, they had a history, too. 
Some scholars said both Barnabas and Paul were students of Gamaliel, the famous rabbi who got grace before Jesus. They were friends. They were close. They served together. They had each other's back. And then all of a sudden, it goes south. Now, let me show you something else. Early on, Luke writes about Barnabas and his company. And then later, he talks about Barnabas and Paul. And then there's a change. And Luke says, Paul and Barnabas. And then it's Paul and his company. Oh, what do you think? What do you think's going on there? Well, at least a part of it is jealousy. Now, I like Barnabas better than I do Paul. And if I had been in the middle of this fight, I would have taken Barnabas' side. But, but he's no saint. I think there was some jealousy there. <laughs> How do I know? Because I've been there. And I've done that. I don't want to tell you what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you because I think Jesus told me to. You don't even know the name, Dan Yeri. What a wonderful pastor. He was pastor of the University Baptist Church in Miami. At the same time, I was a pastor in Miami. Now, my church was growing okay. I mean, the bills were paid, but his church was exploding. I mean, people were coming from all over South Florida to attend University Baptist Church, and very gradually, in a way that I didn't even know until it was too late and I was drowning in the darkness, I got jealous about Dan. When something good happened at his church, I got depressed. When something bad happened, I wanted to dance. And then the Holy Spirit, who won't let you get away with that, convicted me, and I realized what I was doing, and I asked forgiveness. Larry Poland, a friend of mine who lived in California, was in Miami, and we had lunch, and I decided I was going to confess it to Larry, and that would take care of it. So I did. And Larry said, you got something else to do. And I said, what's that? He said, you've got to go tell Dan. And I said, like I said, it isn't going to happen. I'm not going to do that. And he said, not only are you going to do it, I'm going to hold you accountable till you do. So I called him. And I said, Dan, could we have lunch? He said, be great. We picked a restaurant. We sat down to eat. And the waitress came over. And I said, young lady, leave us alone. Uh, we're not ready to eat. We got something to say. And I'll call you when we want to order. And Dan looked at me funny, and I said, Dan, i got to say something to you. I've been praying for your death for the last three years. <laughs> I've been so jealous of you. you have, and you don't have to respond except to say you forgive me. I am so very sorry, and I'm so ashamed of myself. And God is changing me. Do be my friend. And he was. Came to my seminars at the Graham Training Center in the mountains. And he died last year. 
And I'm so looking forward to seeing him again when we get home. But I, but I haven't had to deal with ministerial jealousy since then. <laughs> it's kind of like getting a speeding ticket. It causes you to slow down a bit. <laughs> and uh, after going through that, I said, Lord, I don't want to do that ever, ever again. So I get Barnabas. I, you know, I get where he's coming from. That can eat away at you. And there was more going on than that. But if you think that wasn't going on, you'll believe anything. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So I move the previous question. Why in the world would God include a dirty laundry story like this in his book? And I'm going to tell you. First, because he wanted us to be practical and realistic and straight and street smart. My mentor, and I've quoted him a lot, is Fred Smith, and he taught me a lot. Uh, I think I told you that he showed up at his funeral. <laughs> uh, there were three or 4,000 people there, and they had him on the screen. And he said, since so many people are here, it'd be a shame for me not to say something. And, I, and uh, he presented a plan of salvation. I had to get up and speak. And I love that man more than I can tell you. He taught me two things. He taught me a lot. He's the wisest man I've ever known. But first, he taught me this, that the essence of Christian maturity is to have a high tolerance for ambiguity. That's true with people, with doctrine, with the Bible, with theology, with each other. We, we just don't fit into molds. And if you can't deal with that, join the Kiwanis Club and stay away from the church. And the second thing he taught me that I've remembered and have applied it so much there's a difference between a fact and a problem. A problem something you can fix or make better if you work on it. A fact is something you just accept. I'm not going to quit smoking. Quit trying to get me to quit smoking my pipe. My wife is a spiritual giant, and she has not been successful for 56 years, and you're certainly not going to be successful. My smoking a pipe is not a problem. It's a fact. I can't quit, and nobody can make me quit. And that's a silly illustration, but there's more there in your life. Say, God, show me what I can't change, and I'll call that fact. Show me what I can change, and I'll work on it. And God bless the early church. They're practical. They understood. They decided these guys are going to kill each other if we don't get them separate. And so they sent one north and one south and prayed for both of them. Now that's street smart. And that's what every Christian ought to be. We ought to be the most street smart people in our culture. We ought to understand human sin. We ought to understand failure. 
we ought to understand embarrassment because we've been there and we've done that. I taught at this institution for 20-something years. I still get the hives when I come to church each Sunday. I was known as being a, an encourager to students. Students would sometimes say to me, Dr. Brown, I don't want you to encourage me. I want you to be honest. I want you to, I want you to be hard on me. I never said it to them, but I could have said, son, if I told you the truth, you'd go into vinyl repair. If I told you the truth about how bad you are, you would never preach again. If I told you the truth, you would give up and do something else, and we would lose the fee you're paying to this institution, which pays my salary. That's what God does for us, and I'm so glad. I one time said, Lord, show me myself, and he did. After about a week, I said, I don't want to see any more of myself. I really don't. Jack Miller said, the essence of Christianity is that you're a lot worse than you think you are. And that God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. And God says to us, daughter, if I told you the truth, you'd become a Buddhist. If I told you all of it, you would leave. If I revealed everything I know about you, you would have a breakdown. So I'm showing you mercy. And that ought to be true with us because people who have been shown mercy show mercy. Stravinsky used to say to students uh, when they would ask him how they did, he would say, I like, I like the sound of your trying. God does too. And we should too in the church. And then thirdly, God included this story not just um, to make us practical or merciful. He included it to make us strong and to give us hope. As I said, if I were in that fight, I would have chosen up sides with Barnabas. I could deal with his jealousy, but I couldn't deal with Paul's self-righteousness. And Paul knew it too, by the way. He confessed it in 2 Corinthians. I mean, I would rather, I don't drink, but if I drank, I'd rather have a beer with Barnabas than with Paul. But with that being said, Barnabas was right. The rest of the story is amazing. You have a book in your Bible called Mark. You can write at the top of the page, John Mark. It's that John Mark. Peter said in 1 Peter that John Mark was like a son to him. Peter was the head of the church. And even Paul in Colossians said that John Mark should be esteemed and welcomed. Oh, my. Has a happy ending. I got a an email this morning from a pastor friend of mine in Cincinnati. His name is Ed Bonniewell, and we've written every Saturday for the last 15 years. 
And this morning, he was really depressed. He'd been through the pandemic, all the problems that caused in the church, and nobody was doing anything. Nobody gave a rip. And I wrote him back and told him that Satan was having a field day. Don't let him do that. He's the father of lies. And then I told him about John Mark. We need to remember that in our culture. It really looks dark, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, there are things that just keep me awake at night that are going on. I mean, values have changed. People are saying crazy things. They're cutting the roots of our culture, our Judeo-Christian culture, and they don't like us a bit. What should you do? Remember John Mark. Remember that John Mark is a microcosm of a macrocosm of the M.O. of how God works. It looks bad, looks down, looks like it can't be fixable, looks like a fact, and then God builds a monument to his glory. I, I believe that we're sitting on top of an awakening in America that'll make George Whitfield's awakening look like a Sunday school picnic. And I pray for it every day. And I remember John Mark. Somebody sent me a couple of stories a couple of weeks ago. One was about Easy Eddie, who was a gangster during the Al Capone years in Chicago. In his 40s, he was ashamed of what he had become the people he had killed, the crimes he had committed, and he turned state's evidence. He wanted a legacy that would be different than the one he was building. Uh, Al Capone went to prison because of Easy Eddie's testimony. And a year after that, Easy Eddie was assassinated. The other story is about a guy by the name of Butch O'Hare. Uh, Butch was a fighter pilot in the Second World War, and he was on an aircraft carrier, Louisiana. Japanese pilots were coming, and nobody knew it, when Butch and his partners took off from the aircraft carrier, and Butch realized that nobody had topped off his tank and if he carried out the mission, he wouldn't be able to get back to the aircraft carrier. So he turned around and came back to get the gasoline, and that's when he saw the Japanese planes coming for the Louisiana and the other ships. And he turned and began to weave in and out those. He shot down eight of them and ran at him with, with his plane so that they broke formation, turned, and they fled. Butch O'Hare got the Medal of Honor for that. He was the first flying ace of World War II. And if you ever go to Chicago, and I go there a lot, or did, uh, I land at O'Hare Airport. Yeah, Butch named after him. You can find the memorial there and remember what I told you.
And the reason, and the reason I'm telling you these two stories is because of an interesting twist. Butch was Easy Eddie's son. Hmm. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is because if you listen to what I taught you and what Courtney pointed out, he'll make a way in our praise. If you listen to what I taught you, you know it's never hopeless, that you never give up, that God is working. And when he finishes, it will be done well. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And for sermons on video, be sure to drop by youtube.com slash Network. Hey, and while you're there, hope you'll also hit that subscribe button. Thanks. Thanks.